Hello everybody and welcome to the April 2021 Mark Leverage podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have you along and it's good to be here chatting to you once again. I'm going to start this month by talking about somebody called Doug Diamond. Now I have to admit I had never heard of him before until quite recently when I was listening to one of Vanishing Inc.'s insider video podcasts and uh, he was one of the feature people on that and he gave what I thought was a very very interesting interview in which he talked about all sorts of things mainly to do with mentalism because he mainly majors in that and there were one or two things that he said that I found of uh, particularly thought-provoking one of which was he was pointing out the difference between the plot and the effect of what we do. Now to my way of thinking, up until I'd listened to what he had to say about this, I'd always assumed that the two words, plot and effect, were basically interchangeable. In fact, I know for a fact that when I'm writing up magic, I will use sometimes plot to describe what's happening, and sometimes I'll use the word effects. If I've used plot already in the previous sentence, the next sentence I'll use the word effect so I don't have to repeat the word plot. You know, it's, it's a, a linguistic thing not a, a meaning thing that I'm going for. But what he says is that the two things are actually not quite the same. In his view, the plot is what actually happens. So in other words, as we go through the physical process of making a trick work by starting at A and taking it through to its conclusion at B, what we say and the, the, the sort of mechanics of what we do to create the magic or the mentalism that is the plot. The effect, however, is not quite the same. The plot is part of that, but the effect is more what the audience, what we want the audience to believe has actually happened. Because if you think about it in a way, a lot of magic is what we do is not quite what the spectator remembers as happening, is it? If you've ever heard um, a layperson describing to another layperson, there's a miracle that they saw a magician do. And if you're standing there listening to it as well, you'll know that what the spectator one describes to spectator two, you'll know the trick and you'll know that his version of it is not the actual plot. It's not really what happened at all. It's what he remembers as having happened. And there's a difference because the effect that it left on him and the effect that he remembered is often truncated, it's improved and it's made more impossible usually in the telling. And so that's the difference between the plot and the effect. Because if you were to then go ahead and just do the plot, the way you would describe it would not be the same as the way the effect is described. And I thought this was a fascinating distinction that personally, as I say, I'd, I'd never thought about before. Oh, this is really interesting. So when you're looking to create a piece of magic or to perform a piece of magic, presumably it pays you to try and think what is the effect going to be on the spectator, not what's the plot of this trick. Because if you can major on what the effect is and minimise perhaps some of the handling that the plot is, requires, if the end result is that in the spectator's mind you're left with a stronger effect than the mechanics of the plot actually should really engender, then I think that's brilliant. That is really, really good. And that is then when the spectator one will go to spectator two and describe the effect that he saw 
even though we know that it's not really the plot that he witnessed. So that's interesting, isn't it? I don't know whether you've ever thought about that before. As I say, I, I really hadn't ever considered it before. But I think I'm going to look at one or two of the tricks that I do and see if I can strip away the, the plot and the effect and see whether there's a way of increasing the effect by changing some of the things in the plot in order to leave the impression with the spectator at the end something more memorable than it might otherwise be. Now, as many of you probably know, I spend quite a bit of my time every month preparing content for eClub Pro, my online magic resource. And to be honest, these days, just about all of my creative output is funneled into that resource. And since it's now in its 11th year and I add new material every single month, there are now over 800 pages of content in total, which is, I think, is a fantastic amount for people to be able to, to sort of dip into and select items from. Now, it occurred to me that with so much magic available, it would be nice for people who are not members to get a, a little bit of a, a taster of the sort of things that eClub Pro has to offer. And so with that in mind, I've now, starting this month, created a section of my regular website that's called eClub Pro Select. In eClub Pro Select, there will be 10 routines extracted from eClub Pro. They're all standalone ideas and each one is going to be sold separately. But it's not going to be sold for a very long in the sense that there are 10 items and at the end of the first month, two of those items will be removed and I will replace them with two other different items from eClub Pro. Then at the end of that next following month, I'll remove two different ones and replace those with two more and so on. So this means that any individual trick that's included in this section will be there for a maximum of about five or six months and then will be replaced. Some of them will be replaced sooner than that. So the idea is to give a variety of magic that uh, comes supplied uh, as online downloadable video and you'll be able to access these. Each one costs £7. It's a standard price for all right the way across this range. And you'll be able to buy these individual things. And of course, once you see them and you see the type of content, if you like it, you may say, well, I'll just buy some more if, if that's suitable. Or you may say, well, actually, I'd like to see more of these. I think I'll become a member. And you may like to join, in which case you get it without any further cost. So if you want to have a look and see, I've just put the first 10 items on the website. And so if you'd like to go and find them and see what they are and watch the Dems, then you need to go to markleverage.co.uk. You click on the shop link, which is in the top navigation bar. And then when you get to the page with the various sections of the shop, look for eClub Pro Select. And when you click on that one, it'll show you all the 10 of the routines that um, are currently available. So if you like any of these, don't forget, you do need to possibly purchase them reasonably quickly. And certainly you might want to check back on a regular basis because I will be changing, as I say, two every month. So even if there's nothing in the original 10 that uh, appeals to you, it could be that the, the things that I add the following month will. So if you make a, a regular pilgrimage once a month to the eClub Pro Select page, then uh, it may well be that you'll find some new magic and new ideas to enthuse you. Now, of course, as this year progresses, I'm sure we are all looking forward to life going back to normal. And for us performers, 
that magic life will go back to normal. Although I suppose in a way, exactly what normal is going to mean might be open to some sort of discussion. I think with live shows, as we've talked about before, it's likely that live shows, I think there will be an explosion of them because I think there are a lot of people who, for the last 12 months or more, have had to put celebrations, important ones, whether it be weddings or anniversaries or special birthdays, they've had to put all of these on hold because they haven't been able to have live events. And as soon as the shackles are taken off, I think magicians are going to find um, a lot of work out there, a lot of inquiries coming in, which will hopefully give a boost to the number of shows that we're all doing and will hopefully, at least in part, help to make up for the loss of income over the last 12 months. But of course, it's not just shows, is it, which will change. I'm thinking perhaps magic events. Well, yes, I think conventions, for instance, will return to being normal in one sense, in that I think live events will return, absolutely for sure. And some like Blackpool, I suspect, will be as strong as ever. But I think there's also going to be a marketplace for other types of magic convention. They're they're called hybrid conventions. And I've seen mention of this a few times recently where the likelihood is, and some of these have already started, in fact, that they're going to be a combination of a live event and an online stream of that event. Now, sometimes this live stream might be a bit interactive, whether it be commenting through social media or whether it's some other form of contact that with people who are not actually physically present. But I think it will be an, an interesting mix. And certainly for convention organisers, it open if they can provide a good, solid feed of a live event that people can access easily. And I think it's going to broaden out the appeal of many events, um, which previously might, somebody might say, well, I can't afford to travel or stay over in order to go to a convention like this, or the price of the convention itself is perhaps too high. Or maybe it can be that they're more sort of elderly and therefore don't wish to be do all the traveling or find that the whole rigmarole of getting to a convention a bit too much then for them the idea of being able to stream it while it is live and something like that going on could be very attractive and so this hybrid convention a bit of online and a bit of live could be very very popular Certainly for convention organisers, it'll increase the numbers of people who are interacting with their event. And I noticed that Vanishing Inks, the session, which has been moved now to the right to the beginning of October, because it's already been moved to from the start of the year to the summer and now to, to then, is going to be one of these hybrid events. You can either buy a live ticket, which there will be apparently a limited number, not as many as normal. And then you will also be able to, if you prefer, to register for an online seat, as it were. And it'll be fascinating to see how well that works. But in a way, this idea of live streaming events, of course, it's it's, it's not new, is it? Although it's not happened very much, if you go back 10 or 11 years, Luis de Matos in Portugal did his Essential Magic Conference, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. And he had three events, three years running, where he collected together, I think it was about 20 notable performers and lecturers and they were all in a room together in a television studio together live 
and they were able to interact with those who were watching, getting questions and so on. And they performed and they lectured and it was a really, really good event. Well, that was at a time when broadband technology wasn't anywhere near as prevalent or as sophisticated or as fast for that matter as it now is. And I'm sure that um, the technology is now available to make things like that even more possible. And so I'm sure that there's going to be a number of clubs who either want to do both this, this hybrid where they're doing both elements together, or I think there might be some smaller conventions where they say, do you know what? We've been struggling for numbers in the last few years. What about we, certainly for the time being anyway, just keep it as an online Zoom related event? Now, of course, the two things are very different. Uh, there have been a number of conventions over the last 12 months that have been purely on Zoom. And they're absolutely fine, but they are very different to a live event because, of course, each of the sections, if you like, of the convention, they're, they're compartmentalised, aren't they? The performers or the dealers or whoever it is, they're all in their own little kind of box. And then the people who go to the convention, if you like, can go into the relevant boxes to watch a lecture or to look at the dealers' dems or whatever it might be. So it's a different kind of experience, but it may well be that the costs of putting on something like that are relatively low and therefore the price that is charged to those who wish to attend, digitally attend, will be low and it may be the saviour of some conventions where the numbers were getting below the point where it was going to be viable. As I say, this doesn't apply to things like Blackpool because Black or anything that Vanishing Inc. does for that matter because they're very successful and they're well patronised but there are thinking of sort of some regional conventions where the numbers have gradually over the last few years have been dropping and where they've been worried whether they're going to be able to continue at all. Perhaps the acceptance by us as magicians of Zoom style magic events and lectures and so on will continue as I think actual club lectures by Zoom will also continue in certain circumstances, particularly with uh, people who have a long way to travel to get to a to a magic club, I think they will be often booked by z to do their Zoom lecture instead of a live one. But I think for these conventions, it could be something that we will see continuing. And it may well be that it's uh, yet another way of, that magicians get together and enjoy their magic hobby. A couple of months ago, I celebrated, if that's the right word, my 65th birthday. And... I suppose like anybody who uh, reaches a landmark age of this sort, I kind of don't feel uh, at 65 like I thought I was going to feel when I looked ahead when I was back in my 20s and 30s. When I was in my 20s and 30s, I thought 65 was absolutely decrepit. Well, I don't think I'm quite decrepit yet. And although 65 used to be the, the age when people retired, well, I'm having way too much fun to be doing any of that either. So... It's a funny sort of time, really, where in one way you, you're supposed to be old, but on another way you don't feel that you are yet. Having been a pro magician for f over 40 years of those 65 years, I've realised that there are certain things as, with me as a performer that have gradually changed. And I think I'm sure this must happen to anybody who performs over a long period of time. When you're in, in your early sort of stages, if you like, of, as a performer, I think you're often quite creative. You try lots of different approaches. 
you try different styles, different types of magic, different types of show even. And eventually you find what works for you. And then you get to a point where you kind of stick with it. And the way that you present magic, even the magic itself sometimes stops developing. It might develop a bit, but the basic ground principles stay the same. So for me, I have always loved routine magic, magic that's made up of two or three different stages. And all of my early magic was very much like that. It was all routined, multi-staged effects. But nowadays, this is not the trend. A lot of the trend is a lot of magic seems to be designed for, as eye candy for internet use or social media use. So it's much quicker. It's not routined. And often it's done with no live audience ever intended to be there, which is very different from the sort of magic that, that I personally quite like and that I use. And it led me to think, so what should you do as a performer? Should you try to constantly, as you go on, keep changing and keeping up with modern trends? Well, if you're able to do that, I guess, all well and good, as long as you can do it well enough not to look like an old person trying to do a young person's approach to magic, in which case it might not look very good. But if you can morph or change what you do a little bit, use different props, bring your props themselves, the actual physical props you use, or the plot, the way that the plot of a trick that you've always liked, there are maybe new versions of it that are more modern, uh, which are quicker or which are more appropriate in terms of presentation these days, then you can change things like that. But essentially, you're probably still going to gravitate back to what is familiar to you. It's a bit like your musical taste, isn't it? Uh, maybe it's just me, but I feel like my musical taste reached its zenith in my sort of 20s, and it's never really moved on that much in the sense that the type of music that I like and some of the bands that I, that I liked, those that are still going, I still like them the best. And I have not kept up with more modern music very much. And that's probably true in many ways, for I think for a lot of people, but it's very true of, of magic. You, you, you find a type of magic that you like and you kind of keep doing it. So I was thinking, well, is this wrong? Should you not could you just give up and go, oh, oh gosh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm old fashioned. It's, there's no point anymore. And I suddenly realised that actually it's not necessarily, unless it, you're using patter lines and actual props that are archaic, there's no reason why the magic that you like and that you've been doing for many years won't still work. What you have to do is find the audience that will appreciate it. So in the same way that our magical, if you like, journey might have got a little bit slowed down in let's say in your 30s well the people who you were entertaining for whom you were the, mo the bright young thing and they were bright young things as well they've grown up too so if you find those people chances are they will still like the magic that you like and so therefore there's your audience so rather than curling up your toes and saying, oh that's it I give up go and find the appropriate audience for the magic that you do, and it could give you a whole new lease of life. A few years ago, before we moved to our current house in 2017, I was lucky enough to have the use of a purpose-built teaching room. My wife is a, a French teacher. She teaches um, French classes for adults, 
and she did all her French class teaching in this particular building and I was able to use it for magic events, workshops and the like. And one of the events that I held there just shortly before we moved was um, a small event in which the people who came got to decide the content of the day session. And I really like this concept because I think if you want to make an event relevant to the people who attend, what better way to do that than to give them a selection of topics and get them to choose which are their favourite ones and from that you build the day. Because that way the majority of what they see will be totally relevant to their realms of interest. Well, I'm going to be doing the same thing again, only this time, thanks to the wonderful uh, use of Zoom, I'm going to be doing it online. And on Wednesday, the 21st of April, so 21st of this month, I'm going to be holding the Inner Circle Zoom session. And it's a two-hour session in which the people who come get to choose from a list of 12 areas of magic, either types of magic or specific advice type topics and they're allowed to choose eight out of the 12. I will then take the eight most popular and I will put those into the into the session. The good thing about this is because they are choosing eight from 12 and I will be choosing the most popular eight it means they will get at least they are guaranteed to get at least half of the things they've chosen included and probably one or two more and possibly all eight if they were very lucky. So I think that's a really nice way to, to have an event. And of course, because it's on Zoom, it's very easy for anybody to attend. And it's, it's very going to be very informal. It's not really so much a formal presentation of a lecture. This is more, some of it will be lectury, some of the, the tricks, but other elements of it will be discussions. And I will lead the discussion and hopefully we'll get some, some interesting topics discussed. If you'd like to go, the cost is £10, and if you go to my website, markleverage.co.uk, you can get more information. You can see what the topics are as well. And once you've registered, all you do is just send me an email with your selection of the eight topics you'd like to be considered for inclusion. And hopefully, as I say, you'll get at least half of them, if not more. So I hope to see you there. And that's going to be taking place at 7.30pm on Wednesday, the 21st of April. If I was to ask you what you thought was the most important skill for a magician to have, what would you say? Would you think perhaps that the magician should have a lot of technical skill, perhaps, or the gift of the gab to be naturally funny and have great presentational angles? Would you think maybe it would be something else? Well, there are all sorts of things that you could choose, of course. But I think one of the most important things, particularly perhaps for a close-up magician, would be to have a good grasp of the use of misdirection. Misdirection is such an important and valuable resource, and yet you don't see an awful lot of it in a lot of magicians' presentations. It's not even discussed that much. And yet misdirection can be sometimes something that can turn a trick that would have been okay into an absolute miracle. In some ways I suppose the word misdirection is a little bit of a misnomer because in a way what that implies, misdirecting the audience, is that by any means possible you're going to make them look somewhere away from where the secret move or secret handling, if you like, is going to take place. 
So the so the emphasis with the word misdirection is on just by any means possible taking the attention away from the critical area. But but actually, I prefer the term attention direction because attention direction means something I think slightly different. Instead of just pulling them away by any means to somewhere else, you actually engage their attention um, in a proper in a proper tangible way with something that looks important as part of the trick. And by doing so, you then create the, if you like, the visual space for you to do the dirty work. So there are lots of different ways you can create attention direction. Uh, one is, for instance, with laughter. When you're performing, if you have a critical move to do and as part of the patter, and you can't shoehorn a joke in, you know, it's got to be clearly part of it. You say something that's really funny or you make a comment to a spectator in almost in like apparently ad lib and in passing that's funny. People's concentration is broken. When somebody really laughs, they often throw their head back and close their eyes. Wow, how perfect is that? Or if they don't even do that, they will often, as they're laughing, turn to the person they're sitting next to and enjoy their laughter as well. And they look and smile at each other. It's a, it's a natural way that people respond to something that's funny. And this can create the little gap that you need to do your secret move. So laughter, I think, is a it also relaxes people. And when they're relaxed, they're not burning your hands as much. They're not thinking about perhaps how the trick is going to be done. They're just enjoying the fact that it is done and having a good laugh. And since most people want to, when they're being entertained, want to have a good time, then naturally enough, their attention will waver and you can do what you need to do. Another way to create attention direction is to get a spectator involved in some way. So getting them to, could you just examine this for a minute? Or getting them to do something. Would you mind just shuffling this pack of cards? Or just holding, could you hold out your hand? I just want you, I'm going to put this box on your hand. All right, just, that's it, hold it steady just there. These sort of things where not only are, is the person who you're asking to get involved, not only are they misdirected or better, their attention directed to something else, but the attention of the rest of the people in the group is often then directed to the person who's holding out their hand or who is examining whatever it is you've asked them to examine. So again, it doesn't just work on the one person, it can work on the whole group, again, leaving you free to do what you need to do. Another way to create attention, uh, attention direction is to look at somebody directly and ask them a question. Have you ever seen magic done this close before? It doesn't matter what it is, because when you, you ask somebody something, nine and a half times out of ten, they will look at your face in order to reply. Now, very occasionally you will get somebody who's burning your hands and they just absolutely refuse not to look at your hands because they're so desperate to see how the trick's done. But most of the time people are very, um, they're, they're not doing that. So they're very likely to, to look up and reply. And if you start to look around various other, oh, what do the rest of you think? And you look at the rest and the whole group starts to get engaged with the conversation. Again, you've, you've directed the, the attention to um, a patter that takes their attention away from the physical thing that you need to do. Another way to do attention direction is to make a larger movement cover a smaller one. So for instance, in, I'm thinking about, let's say something like a chop cup. 
and you you are just about to lift up the chop cut and you want to load the final ball or whatever or fruit vegetable if as you lift the cup up you just knock the ball the ball rolls a little bit and people's attention is directed by this larger movement so when you bring your hand back and load and put the cup down that is no longer noticed if you don't kick the ball it might be because there's not there's nothing to distract and and so that that sort of movement that action has helped to direct their attention away from where they might otherwise have seen what you were doing and another way to do it is also to reposition your body either if you're standing and everybody's standing by moving yourself turning to one side turning back to the other side to give yourself a bit of natural movement which helps to hide whereas if you're standing still it's harder to hide a move let's say you were doing the pass if you are moving from left to right as you're talking to people then because your hands are moving you can do the move whereas if you're standing still it's more difficult to conceal it but also sometimes for instance when I'm working at a table and I need to cover a movement I walk around the table behind people in order to hand someone something and in the course of that larger movement of walking around that's when I'll do the move so by the time I get my new standing position I'm already I've already done what I need to do and then I can continue without being observed so I think attention direction is a really good thing to think about and to because it means that you don't have to be not that you shouldn't be technically proficient but you don't have to be super slick because by directing the attention of the audience elsewhere it means that you can get away with uh, things that otherwise would be completely impossible to get past them well where did that half hour go gosh well thank you so much for, for listening i hope you found those topics interesting and that you have a good rest of the month and i'll look forward to be back with you again in may Bye for now.